Welcome to the Wednesday, April 5th edition of the PFF Forecast. It is the week before the Masters. It's also the, uh, what, three weeks, four weeks before the draft. We're almost there. We're going to talk to Seth uh, Galena. He's back by popular demand. All four people uh, vehemently wanted Seth back this week. Um, and I'm uh, going to talk about wide receivers in the draft class. And then Arjun's going to come on. We're going to talk more draft props and some Masters bets. Let's rock. All right, Seth, uh, we had a spirited conversation about your time terrorizing bar mitzvahs. Um, we decided to pivot from that conversation in time for, for the actual podcast. I like Seth. you said the, the four people who uh, wanted me back on the pod, and I'm assuming two of the four are I'm talking to right now, <laughs> so this doesn't leave a lot. And Arjun's the other one, yeah. Right, exactly. So. All right, yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm always glad to be back. By the way, if you are a new, a new listener, a new member of the printing press, um, Seth does come on regularly and he is always back by popular demand. Um, go ahead to uh, our, our Discord, our betting Discord. It's probably the best place to stay up to date on any movement uh, in the market and grab bets as they come. Um, but uh, this is also a good spot. So let's talk wide receivers. And this is an interesting class, uh, Seth and Brad, because... I don't know. At first it was Quentin Johnson and then JSN really came up and JSN has been the overwhelming favorite uh, to go one of or to go ahead of uh, Johnson, but on PFF.com and, and what, um, you know, Mike Renner does with our draft guide, he liked Johnson and still does have him up there. By the way, you can get draft guide on PFF.com. Go check it out. Um, so not like consensus at the top, but then not a lot of belief, I think, in in anything kind of deeper as well. Timo Riske did a little analysis on this, and it looks like there's it, it just kind of a big gap. There's a couple at the top. They're not that highly coveted. And there's like, yeah, we actually don't like that many guys after that. So curious, Seth, how you view this wide receiver class. Well, it it is in general not the best class we've seen recently. There isn't that like super high end, very obvious guy who's a top 15 pick. You know, I think Quinn Johnson and Jason might go top 15, but I don't think they're obvious picks in the same way that that's Gary Wilson and, and Jamar Chase and those guys were. But I think the thing that I think about receivers now is every time I watch these guys is how good they are from top to bottom in this class. And in, gen in, in, in just in general, receiver play is so good. It's a level that we've never seen before. And again, we don't have to go into it, but it goes back to teams. High school teams throwing the ball more. That's it. High school mm -hmm. teams throw the ball more. That means they get more reps and they have all this private coaching and they're really, really good. So it is hard to like, everyone wants to believe that they can scout receivers, but there's a reason why a lot of these, there's really good players that are found every year in the second and third round, because it's really hard to figure out who are the really good ones because quarterback play is such a big part of your production for sure. And, and all stuff like that. So I think that's the first thing I always think about the receivers they are all really really good i think we're talking about the top you know what is it there's like kind of that elite uh, tier one which i would put the two in there that i just said quentin johnson and, and jason and if we talk about those two quentin johnson is an interesting one because i think with the size 
and the frame that he has, you're thinking he's a contested catch guy. He's not a great catcher. He it feels to me that he lacks confidence catching the football. That he allows stuff to get into his chest a lot, and that's not obviously obviously not what we want. We want to go out there and make catches with our hands when appropriate. There are appropriate times to let the ball come into your chest. But the interesting thing for me with him is that he's actually a really good route runner. Like he gets separation on quick routes without having to use, um, you know, his size and strength. Like he can just win with his feet and his quickness. So there is really good route running there. And then the the, the yak ability is really probably, you know, top one or two in this class, you know, just to be able to kind of bully people after the ball's in his hands. And JSN is a, is a good reminder for me. I said as a wide receiver coach as well, every route you run is a double move. It's not necessarily that a stop and go or a slant and go is your double move. Like every route, if you're running uh, just a regular slant and you see a lot of these guys do it, a regular slant, you're going to show them that you're running a go route to the outside before you before you break in for that slant route that's going to come quickly inside. Like every route is a double move. And, and JSN is this guy who just really understands the nuances of the position in terms of how to set defenders up, how to make them think you're doing something and you're not. And then obviously there's the, you know, elite agility um, that he showed at the combine with the three cone and, and the, and the shuttle. So I think that's really interesting and just a fun player to watch. And then kind of after that, I think you have guys like say flowers who gives you incredible speed down the field, precise route running, just incredible speed down the field and really was the lone player for the Boston college this season and, and playing with not great quarterback play either. And he made some great catches because of it. So you saw a lot of the nice contested catch ability, uh, even though maybe that's not who anyone would have thought he was, but the quarterback play necessitated some interesting catches, which is always fun. Josh Downs, similar player, smaller in stat stature, but super fast. Um, another, another nice route runner. I'll, I'll give you a guy who I think is, um, probably the best route runner, and that's Tank Dell from Houston. Mm. Not very big, but cleanest breaks, absolutely clean breaks, gets a separation super fast. So I think those for me are my five that I really, really like in terms of, you know, in this in this class, it's, it's interesting because it's like probably, even though I said those are guys I really, really like, I probably don't take a couple of them to like the early in the second round. But um you're going to find guys later in the draft, I think, like every year that are that are going to hit and are going to be good players. A couple uh, follow-ups for you there. So so first one, um, you know, on Jackson Smith and Jigba, been a lot of discussion recently, but 85% of his snaps in the slot. Uh, the first wide receiver drafted hasn't even been half of that, I think, in the last like decade or so. Do you care about that? Is it a different sport now? We shouldn't care as much about that. And the second piece, um, so I said, he's minus 160 to go first overall. This market has changed dramatically. Like Jordan Addison was the favorite at, at open. He's now fourth. Um, so so Jackson, Smith, Jackson Smith and Jigba minus 160. Zay Flowers plus 340. Quentin Johnson five to one. Um, the, the Kind of the question is, do you, do you see value on Quentin Johnson? It's probably the second question. So the, the slot thing is interesting. First of all, I, I actually totally forgot Jordan Addison. He's in my that group as well. Super quick player, understands how to get separation, not like straight line speed, but again, super quick and, and good cutting ability. Yeah, the stock question is interesting. And I think this is the reason why they're not, we're not talking about a number five overall Jamar Chase type of player, right? Because 
obviously Quentin Johnson is not that not Jamar Chase in, in in play style either. But when you look at a JSN, it's like I think slot play is super important. We all think that, right? Like I think PFF was probably one of the first people that come out, you know, years ago and, and talk about the value of slot receivers and slot cornerbacks and stuff like that. So it's super valuable. But yeah, there that's why you're gonna get knocked down, you know, 10 spots, 15 spots, something like that. Um, if you're Jackson Smith and Jigma. Now the thing is, because there's no top top player your value might be kind of inflated a bit because of that and i think teams are just going to like him and they're going to draft him earlier than i think maybe a slot only guy normally goes if you have a kind of elite tier group of uh or elite at least one elite tier uh pass catcher in in a class which we don't have this year so i think that's where the slot thing comes into into play but obviously like Got four receivers on the field. Well, you got three receivers on the field, really. You, someone's going to play in the slot, right? On the field all the time. There's always, there is pretty much, there is always a slot receiver on the field. So, you know, important position. Um, in terms of the value of like, you know, where these guys are going to get um, taken, I think that the Quinton Johnson thing, again, I don't think he's a contested catch guy, but the frame and the body tell you he might be. And I feel like I could be wrong about this, but I feel like those guys get drafted higher just because we believe in this. Like hmm. we want that type of, that's the receiver we thing. all want. It's exactly. It's the alpha male thing. So I think there's a lot of value in thinking Quinn Johnson might be this, this top receiver taken. It's interesting. The, so I am reminded of a conversation that I had in the uh, PFF offices with Austin Gale. And actually, I, I want to say, so this was the first year that Austin and I started working together. So I was, you know, I, I, I'd, uh, at first when Austin and I um, met each other, like I thought he was a complete uh, weirdo. And um, he, was, thought he was championing Rashad Penny all around the office. And I was like, this guy is out of his mind. So the next uh, draft season, uh, he has this bee in his bonnet about Justin Jefferson. I don't know if you guys remember this uh, piece that he wrote. But he basically wrote this piece about how Justin Jefferson is this slot specialist. And, you know, he's he's never going to amount to, you know, anything because all he can do is run from the slot. And, you know, he's got 100 snaps out wide and he can barely walk, you know, his routes out is, you know, so bad. So it's interesting. And I, I'm curious what the lessons are, if any, to be learned from that. I mean, Justin Jefferson has been amazing. Um, he's been great regardless of where you put him. He's obviously a pretty elite athlete. Um, I wouldn't say that Jackson Smith and Jigba is anywhere near the athlete that Justin Jefferson is. Um, and is that, you know, is that the only difference? Can he exist on the outside? Like, is there anything to be taken from that, you know, conversation or that, that thought process around Justin Jefferson? The issue, like, like you said, the athletic profile is probably different enough. And then the, the issue with the Jefferson slot thing was always, we forgot to look at not, we just like i'll say yeah i'll say in general i won't name names austin gale but we forgot to look at 2018 justin jefferson the year before the explosion in 2019 Justin Jefferson played outside in 2018 and was lsu's leading receiver in a in a, in in that like old school offense that they were running before the revolution of 2019 happened so there was really good numbers like especially as like he must have been a like a sophomore at the time and you know young sophomore at the time and and he put up really good numbers as an outside receiver. So I think we kind of forgot that 
part of Jefferson. And, uh, and like you said, the, the athletic profile. So those two things are kind of why it's tough to find lessons because we didn't really, there weren't really any lessons to be learned mm. because he was an outside receiver the whole time, I think. You're just saying I would say one to your research. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one lesson could also just be like, why is this guy playing inside? And in Jefferson's case, you have Jamar Chase. And I know Terrace Marshall has been a great pro, but he was a second second round pick the year later. Obviously, in JSN's case, yeah, he's in the slot because he has Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on the outside. So if you're a if you're a slot only when you're the best receiver on the team, maybe that's like more of a signal or a negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, you could argue like. They just wanted him on the field no matter what and just had to find a spot for him, um, and that ended up being on the inside. It's interesting that Zay Flowers is second most likely now to uh, to be the first overall or first wide receiver taken. Now, I was actually talking to Sam Monson earlier today, and I was asking him, you know, what do you think of the receiver class? And you kind of said, you know, a lot of the same stuff. I was like, I don't really like Zay Flowers. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it's interesting that he's actually risen – uh, up the boards here, um, you you would go Seth Jackson, Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnson. Who would be third, fourth, fifth? I think I would go with Addison, and then Zay Flowers, and then there's a couple that I really, a guy that I really like, Michael Wilson from Stanford and Tank Dell from Houston are very interesting prospects. I know a lot of people put Hyatt there, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee at number five or, or four or something like that. I, I actually did like the tape when I watched it. I think he's a little more nuanced than I thought he would be given the offense. And I'll explain the offense situation here because it is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a bigger deal when it comes to Hendon Hooker and 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 um, and and his potential first round uh, uh, came abilities or whatever but the offense gave Jalen Hyatt a lot of free room in terms of whether it was getting off the line of scrimmage because he wasn't being pressed because they would line him up behind another receiver it's kind of hard to press a guy when he's has a bodyguard in front of him and then just the way that offense ran and the way that Josh Heupel was calling plays to get him wide open down the field so the production is incredibly fake it's just not real production in, ter- in terms of, you know, the reasons why he won the Bolitnikov and, and why he's being thought of as a first-round player. Obviously, there's there's measurables there. He's fast, blah, blah, blah. But I think that we do have to put into context how limited that offense makes receivers and quarterbacks. So, like, Corey Coleman is obviously the best example of a guy who we thought was just unbelievable player, but it was really just the offense that was doing a lot of the heavy lifting um, in terms of him getting open. Like I said, liked him better than I thought I would when I watched the tape. I do think he is a little more nuanced. I do think he I think he can get separation at the next level, but the production is just entirely fake. So it's tough to it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, if you're gonna pick a guy in the first round, like this, you're 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 a franchise, you're picking a guy in the first round. You better know everything you need to know about him from an on-the-field perspective as well as off the field. And you just don't know right now because of the offense. And again, it's the mm-hmm. same with Hendon Hooker. You just don't know. So like, yeah, he might end up, those two players might end up, Cedric Tillman, another receiver, might end up being really good players. But we just don't know based on what we've seen on tape. So that's the concern there with Hyatt and, and uh, the Tennessee offense. Uh, so we talked about all the kind of the big names, people everyone are talking about. Who are some sleepers, some deeper picks that, that you're high on? So like the, 
I, I said Michael Wilson from Stanford. I think I'm the only person who who likes him, but I think he's a great route runner. I really like, uh, I think it's Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia because he's like 6'3", he's big, and he ran really fast in a straight line, and he's, he does get separation on his routes. And like a player with that type of, uh, I'll look it up as I'm speaking, but a player with that type of height, weight, speed, and then it's like it, I do felt feel like he backed it up a bit on uh, in terms of the film and the routes and stuff like that. So I, I that's my guy who I'm like really interested. In. So 6'4", 223, 33.5 inch arms, and you're at a four three eight. Like I, I don't I don't I'm not confused actually why he's not getting that type of hmm. um, that type of uh, you know second round even even hype. So he's the type of guy that I like the 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 wild card is Keishan Butte from LSU, who we all thought was going to be the first wide receiver taken if we were talking about a year ago. So the draft, the 2022 draft happens and we're saying, who's the next wide receiver, you know, the next big-time wide receiver in the 2023 class, and we would have said Keishan Butte. He, he stunk this year. And there was a lot. I've heard so many different rumors from sources telling me that this was going on, that was going on, this was going on. We saw what happened with before the bowl game. And why he uh, was not allowed to play in the bowl game anymore. However, the tape, the tape, you watch it and you're like, this guy should be the top receiver taken. And he just almost like didn't want to play this year. Um, drops and and lack of dust or route running. But, you know, 2022, 2021 tape is really good. And he should have been wide receiver one. So it's like, I guess if you're taking a chance on a guy late, that that's the guy. Because everything else is there. It just seems like it's more in his head. Didn't he run like a 4-7? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, but like, there's no way he's a four seven guy. He's just like, you know, you take a chance on a guy. Hopefully, he he figures it out. Hopefully, gets in the gym and, and does all that stuff. But like, it's really bad. Yeah, you but can't like, motivate yourself to like show up and run sub four seven. <laughs> I feel like that's not a great sign. It's not. Like Sam Monster really ran a four nine in Indy. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's. I'm sure that's wind dated. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was a giant. It's definitely one of those things where they're like, "We want fans to run the forty, but if we show them the real time, no one will ever want to do this." So they just, you know, they knock like a second off. You know, that'd be like, smart, well, right? Yeah, make sure that people kind of can believe this, but then they feel good about themselves. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not a laser; it's hand time. Yeah. Local scout. I, uh, the, the one thing I'll say is. This whole and we loved. I love doing this. It's like okay, a guy was good in his draft year minus one, and then he fell apart in the draft year. And it's like we love to be like okay, but wait. And I just did it right with Butte. But like, oh my god, look at this guy. He's gonna be amazing. Don't like he was amazing once, so he might be amazing again. And like honestly, I don't think I haven't done some any research on it, um, other than like the one article I wrote. And I wrote an article like two years ago, being like, okay, here, here, this is the list of guys who had great um, you know, draft minus one seasons and did not have good draft years, but maybe take a chance at them and they all stunk. So like I'm using a very anecdotal uh, piece of evidence here to tell you that these guys probably don't end up working out because there's a reason why they weren't very good in, in their draft year. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think but- Timo, I think our coworker Timo Riske actually wrote an article about that too. So look up Seth's and look up Timo's. I think his conclusion was the same uh, as yours with a larger data sample of like, yeah, there's, Maybe the reason is they get more attention in the next year because they were so good. And then once they get that attention, teams kind of poke holes in what they're good at. 
Um, you know, but yeah, so it is interesting though, um, in both directions. Also, like you also don't want a guy who just is only good for one stretch of a season. Um, and we're kind of making this huge decision based off of, you know, it's kind of like a Lucas Van Ness conversation type thing, but um, but yeah. We'll get you out of here on this, Seth. Do you have a pet peeve or a soft spot for us this week? I have a little bit of a pet peeve. Maybe it's two in the weeds. It is football related. So there's this concept, and we're talking about receivers, this concept called late hands. And it's the idea that you don't put, if you're running a route as a receiver and the ball is coming your way, you try to put your hands up to catch the ball as late as possible because the DB is keying off that and the DB knows he can turn his head and maybe make a play on the ball or any any type of way he can make a play on the ball because he knows when the ball is coming. I just think, and I really have done no research on this, but I just think there's no, no one is playing receiver and saying, oh, I'm going to wait till the ball is near me. I'm going to wait till the last moment. It's like, no, that's literally what you do. You wait till the last moment to put your hands up. That's how you catch things. That's it. Like, you you don't, like, there's only one player in the history of football, in my opinion, who I ever saw do that, and this is Jimmy Graham. Go watch Jimmy Graham highlights. There's the only player playing the NFL who will run across the field with his hands in that diamond um you know, I'm, I'm ready yeah. to catch the ball position instead of actually pumping his arms and running. So it's like, I just don't see it as a thing that people are conscious about. I could be totally wrong. Uh, I did catch, you know, 25 catches this year in flag football, COA division two. So like, I kind of know what I'm talking about, but uh, so I just don't think, I don't think late hands is a real thing. I think it's just a natural thing that people do, or, you know, they put their hands up when the ball is ready for them to be, to, to be caught. There's no late or early hands. So I, I, I'll push back on this a little bit because the image that I have around late or early hands is different than yours in that I think about, you know, a player running a deep vertical route yeah. and they're maybe stride for stride with the DB, but the D, they know the DB isn't looking back. And so in order to make sure that the DB can't just put their hand in front of their hands, you wait until the very last moment to put your hands out or you, instead of like going like this, you maybe let it drop in so you can just, you know, put your hands out there and catch it. I feel like that's the only time that I really see that come into play. Um, and I think there could be some, some strategy there. Now it's very hard to run like this. <laughs> so it's not as if they're like, you know, doing that four seconds in advance, but it's more subtle in the sense that it's like even a 10th of a second helps if you've got a DB that's right there. Uh, and how many catches did you have in fly football this year, buddy? Uh, infinitely many. Yeah. Yeah. It's the MVP. <laughs> Mic drop um, from Seth there. Yeah. That, that's now I have to go do push ups. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do during my second workout today, Seth. I'll think about you. I, I hope you're you thinking be, about me in all your workouts. You'll be motivation. <laughs> Seth Galina, we always appreciate him uh, at PFF underscore Seth. Go read his work. Go follow his Twitter if you can bear it. Um, but always a delight to have on the podcast. We will see you next week, buddy. Thanks for hanging out. Enjoy see Seder, you. man. Yeah. All right. We bring in draft prop expert, Arjun Menon. Arjun, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Just uh, keeping making sure to scour the markets as soon as they come out. The the facial hair is gone. I don't know if that's a sign. Are you getting? Uh, do you have to look younger uh, for some sort of event? Um, I was liking what you were doing with that, so I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't grow it out too long. Uh, I just I don't know if I have the face to like sustain like a whole like beard Sport. and mustache. So like I'll I'll like keep the stubble here and there, and like I'll let it grow out like for like a week or something. But I'm in college, like I got to shave it like here and there. So I've never let it like grow out a lot. Brad, when did you start growing out the facial hair? I'm sure a lot later than the two of you guys. Uh, like my junior year of college, I actually was able to legitimately grow facial hair on my face. And I, by, by legitimately, I mean like wispy little little curls that probably should not have been you know, allowed to grow out. <laughs> so uh, I'll say this. I hated shaving, the passion. And, but you know, I, I don't know if this is actually true. I think it is true. Like the more you shave, the thicker your facial hair will grow out. So I would make a point of shaving with the anticipation of one, one day I hated it, but one day it's going to pay off because I'm not going to have to shave anymore. So I think it was junior year for me too, Brad, like it starts to come in. You're like, man, I can get away with this. <laughs> I could just not shave anymore. And the thought I haven't shaved since I have not shaved since that day. And I, I will do anything to avoid it. That's actually thing, a, so. a Seinfeld reference. I don't know if you remember this episode. This is the way throwback. But basically, they're saying don't shave your back because once you shave it the first time, then it grows in. The hair grows in more. That's that's probably tied to that reference, which I, I could not speak to back hair. I, I'm unfamiliar. So, <laughs> Yeah, I haven't, I haven't gone that. Although uh, I'm happy about long, that. With a long razor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I also watched another grown man use Nair in college. Uh, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, let's talk draft props. Um, thing that we were talking about earlier today is this concept around pro days and buying player stock kind of relative to their pro days. Um, we had a pro day today. It was the Illinois pro day um, and saw some movement there. Brad, if you can recap for us. Yep. So uh, Devin Witherspoon actually, I think, had his own pro day. I think he was still recovering from a hamstring. Uh, maybe I'm mixing people up, but nevertheless, uh, he tested today, ran a low four fours, according to some scouts that were there. That's what Daniel Jeremiah put out. Look, our, you know, a six foot tall guy, you know, a little bit undersized weight wise in the low 180s. But still, when you, when you get a mid to low four four, uh, that is a good number. And yeah, uh, Arjun, I think you said FanDuel, uh, correct, is, is the book. He is now favored again to be first cornerback drafted. Look, maybe I'm wrong. I know every mock you see out there, a lot of mocks you see out there have him going ahead of uh, Christian Gonzalez. I personally would bet on, if he has plus odds now at FanDuel, I would bet on Christian Gonzalez. Look, Witherspoon has tape you fall in love with. He's physical. He wants to kill you in the run game. He does all these things that are fun to talk about. At the end of the day, if we're talking about projecting traits and tools, all those things we always talk about, Christian Gonzalez was built in a lab to play cornerback in the NFL, but hey, maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm with you, Brad. And I mean, I think Witherspoon today, before today, was probably like plus 160, 170, like in that area. And now on FanDuel, they're both minus 115 to be the first corner taken. Gonzalez is a little more favored on DraftKings to be selected before Witherspoon. Um, so yeah, like you're going to probably have to pay like a vague to, you know, um, pay, pay a vague to uh, bet them to be first cornerback taken. So I, I don't know if I necessarily, you know, bet them at minus odds. I'd wait to see if you can get Gonzalez at plus odds. Again, I still don't see Witherspoon being the first corner taken. I think Gonzalez just has too many of the, you know, the traits that Brad talked about. And it, it kind of brings us to the point we were talking about in our own chat, which is like, if you like going into next year, assuming the books are going to still put out draft props, 
if you can like get ahead on some of these combine and pro day measurements you can like identify like what players you think are going to test well and buy stock of them ahead of time witherspoon is a great example of this where you if you bought stock on him before today knowing he was going to test today maybe test bad and you're gonna get some you know bad closing line value whatever if you bought stock ahead of him today he's now at minus odds and you have a chance to arb him with buying some christian gonzalez stock and you know securing a profit so going into next year like if you if you see like you know caleb caleb uh caleb williams and drake may are going to be the two hotshot quarterbacks Williams will probably be the first quarterback taken, but maybe ahead of Drake May's pro day, you buy a little bit of stock because there'll be some hype around him. We saw a little bit of that when Bryce Young threw and then CJ Stroud threw. And then when Stroud, when there was a lot of buzz for Bryce Young to be the first quarterback taken, CJ Stroud had his pro day and then odds shot back up to minus 320. So there's kind of a concept that, you know, kind of, you know, obviously it's like my first year, like really betting the draft, but I've noticed that when players have their pro day, like they're going to get a lot of stock and the betting markets are going to start favoring some of their odds towards them. Yeah, it's interesting. I, so how would you think about predicting players that would do well in their pro day? Because I guess it's not just doing well in the pro day, but doing well relative to how they're viewed coming out of the combine, right? So I'm I'm thinking about what some of those features might look like. I mean, one thought here is just players who show athleticism and are good, but don't run or, you know, don't run a 40 or don't do certain set, set of things where they're putting more stock in their pro day. I always, my belief is that the pro day is just, I mean, it, the, you control that environment. There are so many ways to rig that. I mean, like mm-hmm. it, it would be the... That would be one of the easiest things to do if you were trying, like if you were an agent trying to get your uh, client to uh, to get drafted higher, the first thing I would do is go talk to the, you know, the facilities people at the pro day. <laughs> that would be uh, number one. But how, how would you think about Arjun? Let's say we're building a model to predict this. Like what are some of the things that you would test out from a feature building perspective? Not to get all mathy on people, but. Yeah, it's. It's definitely tricky. I mean, if you're going to predict pro day, you definitely want to have like combine measurements in there if possible. And if they didn't test, like that's how I feel a little bit of a tricky subject, uh, a tricky spot. One thing that me and um, the data scientist Ben Brown have tried to do, and we've like built our own stuff is, is called like K nearest neighbors, where you take like a player's height, weight, and position, you, mm-hmm. and you apply some like clustering algorithm or not clustering, like you, it's a case K nearest neighbors. So basically you apply this algorithm and the algorithm will tell you like the nearest player to whatever player has an na in that specific value so if you're saying 40 time i'll say like um quentin johnson didn't i believe didn't run at the combine based on his height and weight and his position we can find a similar player who matches all his profile and then give him a projected 40 yard time and then from there you can go and see like is that a good is that a time that we'd say is good for him based on his height and weight and like we can you know build some of his stock based off of that so there is a lot of historical data out there you know uh, you know ben baldwin and the all the guys at the nfl fast star have put together some great stuff that you can like find combine measurements and apply this k nearest neighbors algorithm to that um and that's something that i've done and had some success with so uh i haven't tried that specifically for draft props so that's one way i think i would approach it for players who didn't test at the combine yeah that's interesting Uh, i like that approach um okay let's let's pivot a little bit to talking uh total quarterbacks taken so uh DraftKings has blessed us with some player props uh the good people at FanDuel are clearly terrified of the printing press 
um, and, and what we might do to them. So shout out to them for following well-known uh, followers of the printing presses, FanDuel, DraftKings, Asleep at the Wheel. And we're going to try and uh, pick them off where we can. Uh, four and a half quarterbacks is the over-under, not surprisingly, because you have almost guaranteed, you have guaranteed three. I think, you know, it'd be a shock if Will Levis somehow fell out. So you basically have four guaranteed. Uh, but the under four and a half is minus 150 and the over is plus 120. And that basically hinges on Hendon Hooker, it would seem. I don't think Tanner McKee is in that conversation. Um, so uh, obviously it's juice towards the under. Uh, that tells you where I think people feel this is going to go. Um, Brad, Arjun, what do you guys think? You go ahead first, Arjun. Yeah, so this is one I bet yesterday at minus 140. It's moved a little towards the under. So I definitely like the under four and a half. I just I don't necessarily see Hooker being a first round pick for any team in the back half of the first round. So I don't see the Vikings taking him. I know they're the popular spot. Quasey wants to find Kirk's heir apparent, you know, or whatnot. Look, Henry Hooker's 25 right now. He's going to be 27 or 26 by the time he plays his first NFL snap. If you look at Quasey's time with the Vikings and the Browns, every single pick he's made in the first three rounds in those two tenures or been a part of have been 21 or 22 year olds. Hendon Hooker's 25. Like that is a big, that's a big thing. He's coming off an ACL injury. He played in an offense, which I've not seen one people say will translate well from college to the pros, right? That's the thing that everyone's talking Jalen Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt on. And I don't see why Hendon Hooker wouldn't be given that same criticism. He's not really playing in a pro style offense. I know Mike Tannenbaum, you know, mocked him at number five in his latest mock draft, but like, you know, he's like, Wait, did he really? Yeah, it was a big, it was a big thing. So. Wait, Mike Tannenbaum wrote a serious article that had Hendon Hooker at five to the Seahawks. Yeah. So that went on ESPN and that definitely caused some stirs. And I like, he's not the only person who had Hooker going the first round, you know, again, 23 to the Vikings seems like a popular spot for him, but again, his gra- the reason uh, there are only 32 teams in the NFL, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, grinding the mocks has him as an extra- expected draft position of 50.2. According to the consensus big board from NFL mock draft mock draft database, he's the 40, he's 42nd on the big board. So he's not, you know, he's not in the first round and grinding the mocks or the consensus big board. The only way I really see this happening is if some team trades back up into the first round to get him, you know, try to secure that fifth year option. But there is merit to not having the fifth year option. You don't have to guarantee the later mm-hmm. parts of his deal if you select him in you know, at 37 or 38. We've talked about the Raiders being a potentially good spot for him. And, um, you know, they picked near the top of the second round. So I don't know if any team is desperate enough to go get a 25 year old quarterback who's coming off an ACL injury who really doesn't have the biggest upside because, you know, his mobility is probably not going to be as good after the ACL and it wasn't that great anyway before. So I just don't see Hooker being that great of a prospect. And, you know, even if he might turn out to be a solid NFL quarterback at this point, I just don't see any team going and taking him in the first end of the first round. So I was going to push back on you a little bit, but you covered it at the end there. And that I agree. If you look at the first round list, I don't see a team doing it. I do not see Minnesota doing it. I think you mentioned, you know, Quazy and the places he's been. You tweeted this out. You know, they're drafting 21, 22-year-olds in the first round, not 25-year-olds. Yes, quarterback is different. I think a lot of people, just to address this, people say, yeah, but quarterbacks can play till they're 40. Why does it matter? It's not so much how much utility can you get out of this player from a length standpoint. It's more... Has this player developed to the fullest extent they can? Like, is there less room for continued growth? That's what we're saying. We talk about this. Um, But I was going to push back on just look. Indy at 35, 
Seattle at 37. Talk about a team that loves taking 24-year-olds in the first round in mm-hmm. Seattle. Um, and then you mentioned Las Vegas. I know George got a kick out of this, so we'll just mention quickly the Parcells criteria, which, again, Arjun yes. posted for us. Got to be a three-year starter, a senior in college, graduate from college, start 30 games, win 23 of those 30, uh, <laughs> at least, I would imagine. Uh, not an exact number. Uh, post a two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio and complete at least 60% of passes thrown. So, Apparently, Hannon Hooker hit all those thresholds. Uh, I think he's a super senior. You know, obviously, he's, he's been around the block a few times. The Van Wilder of the draft this year. Um, but, but yeah, my, my, I agree with you on the no one currently there. What would scare me is those three teams I mentioned picking at yeah. 37, 35, 37, 38, if maybe they do want to get the fifth-year option. Uh, but other, otherwise, I agree. Yeah, and they would be potentially dealing with a trade partner in Philadelphia right at 30. I think that's the the worry. I have a lot of confidence that the Chiefs are going to want to pick at 31, um, that the Saints are going to want to pick at 29, right? Like that these teams, maybe the, the Bills at 27 would be a candidate to trade back. Um, knowing Quezzy a little bit, um, I am pretty confident that he's not going to take a 25-year-old quarterback. <laughs> um it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I know that, um, you know, from his time back with the 49ers, you know, they build models for players to predict performance going forward and age is a factor <laughs> and having done some of this modeling myself, uh, I am very aware of the fact that that matters. So there's just no, I would say no shot in hell. Um, I'm wondering if there's any way that we can dig into, you know, the, the potential for a Philly to trade back or one of those teams to want to trade up. Because after listening to you, Arjun, I was, I was, I was already leaning towards taking under four and a half pretty heavily. Um, I then went and looked at the PFF mock draft simulator. Hendon Hooker's average is is uh, for pick position is uh, let me pull it up again so I don't get this wrong um, is eighty one. So, you know, I'm not saying that like people using the PFF mock draft sim are GMs out here, but um, I think it goes to show at least how big of a difference there is between the first round and where people are looking to mock Hendon Hooker. And there's something to be said for a team reaching on a quarterback that's going to be scrutinized a lot more than any other pick. So, you know, I I think a, a team will sit there and go, man, why would we trade up here? to grab a guy, if it's going to be scrutinized, we can wait and, and potentially grab him a lot later. I mean, is there, is there anyone that, that really believes he's got that big of an upside? I, kind of shocking to me. To your first point, George, you actually brought up a great point. Um, and, and I've mentioned, I do this every year, I'll update it again. But if you look at the bottom half of the first round, Philadelphia is really the only target. So the Chiefs, like you said, I don't see them doing it at 31. The Eagles, look, they will trade down. They traded down with the Ravens when the Ravens got Lamar Jackson. They've done this exact trade before five years ago. But the, the Saints, I would imagine they're trading up from 29, not trading down. They have uh, Nicky Loomis has, has never yeah. traded down, so I don't think he's going to start yeah, this well, year. They haven't traded down since 2011. They've traded down before that, but gotcha. since the new CBA, they haven't traded down one. Since you were seven, Arjun, they haven't traded <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't put money on that one. Um, the Bengals don't trade really much at all. Uh, the Cowboys don't really trade much at all. Brandon Bean is a trade-up guy, not a trade-down guy. Uh, Joe Shane is new, but obviously came from the Brandon Bean tree. Uh, I think he moved I think he moved both directions last year, uh, if I remember correctly. I want to say they moved up at one point and down at one point. But nevertheless, like, 
I just named every team that's in a realistic striking range, you know, 25. If we're saying the Colts at 35 are maybe the only team, um, no, they don't take a quarterback early. So yeah, it's pretty much are these teams going to trade with Philadelphia is kind of the bet you're making that makes me even like even more uh, now going back towards the no, because it's just one team you really have to call. Yeah. And, and those teams that are candidates to take him, I, there's a good chance they take a guy already, you know? So that's, that's another one there. Um, yep. Not to, I mean, one last kind of nail in the coffin here. We've been talking about Hinton Hooker. I mean, our, our big board has Tanner McKee ahead of him. <laughs> uh, in fact, we have Tanner McKee 37th on our board and Hendon Hooker at 87. So, you know, I, I, not to say again that people are just sitting there using the PFF board, but that would be a big difference between where we had a quarterback and where he ended up get, getting drafted if you look back historically. Um, maybe we're, we're forming the under four and a half quarterbacks taken syndicate. That may be where we're where we're heading here. Although I don't like it at minus one, 150 is the only thing that annoys me there. I think we get more value if more and more mocks have him going in the first round. I mean, they're not all going to have him going top five, although no no two lane law disparagement, my guy, Mike T, but a bit of a reach there, I think, but, but even, you know, I think more and more mocks are going to have like, like Arjun said, I've seen Vikings a couple times, um, you know, so maybe we get better value as we get closer to the draft. uh, If we want to play that, you know, play that play. Yeah, I think Mike T was indexing on a different uh, variable, which is clicks. Um, and I I found myself the other day clicking on some mock draft because they had something ridiculous. I forget what it was, but I was like, oh, my God, they got me. <laughs> it worked. Uh, it, it definitely I think it worked. Was Richardson going one. Um, and I was like, uh, you know, and then I was like, I'm such an idiot for doing this. Anyways. Um, I, I, got, I got one more. Well, yeah. Just one more point about the Hendon Hooker thing that I thought was pretty funny. A little bit of movement today that the Patriots are now the second most favorite team to take Hendon Hooker per DraftKings at nine to one. They were, I think, fifteen to one earlier to like earlier before mm-hmm. today, before the Mac Jones stuff came out. And I think it's funny because you know Hendon Hooker dropped fifty two on his, uh, Belichick's old buddy Nick Saban, uh, and so I, I'm assuming that if, if Belichick asked Saban like, "Hey, like, what do you think of this Hooker guy?" He's like, "Yeah, he shredded our ass." Like, what do you think? Like, he's a pretty easy, he's a good quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised if. Belichick made a move there and like I mean it doesn't really sound like you know things are in paradise between the goat and and Matt Jones so you know maybe he is looking to get a new guy in there but I, I think they're pretty comfortable with Bailey Zappi so I'm not really going to buy a lot of Patriots stock but I think it's a little bit of a funny movement that I saw yeah it's Zappi hour George's yeah, favorite Zappy. time of the day <laughs> asking uh Nick Saban about hookers is always going to be a dangerous proposition where that ends you up um, all right. Uh, I'm on fire here. So let's get to the masters. Um, I, by the way, uh, should shout, we talked about data golf a bunch. It is really cool. And, uh, I spent some time on it. Um, really, really awesome stuff. Uh, made me excited about where we might uh, be able to build some things from a PFF perspective. Um, really cool stuff. So highly recommend Brad. This is our last chance to feed the people here. Uh, we've talked about Cameron young at length, um, I've talked about Brooks at length. Those are my two positions right now. Um, where do you stand? Are there, are there uh, head to heads out there already that you like and, um, where would you point us? Yep. So now we're getting into the more of the exotics, uh, if you will. So a couple head to heads and, and I'll say the, the angle here is first, again, looking at our friends over data golf, they do put out basically what they think the line should be compared to a certain books. I, I won't, you know, get the exact specifics, but I combine that with, and I mentioned this in the discord channel, And sure, maybe the books have cooked this into a degree, 
So on Thursday, there is supposed to be some weather, but it's only starting at about 3 p.m. Three, you know, as of right now. So Friday, the entire day is supposed to be raining. It's it's 50% or above the entire day Friday. I think Saturday is also really bad. Uh, and then Sunday is clear. Like we might have a Masters ending on Monday. So, um, but the big point is, uh, for the Thursday stuff, I found a couple uh, first round bets that I liked that the data golf already liked. And then I combine that with looking at the weather and say, okay, if a guy is teeing off early and will be off the course by 3 PM, he might get a full round in before any weather hits. So those two guys are uh, Patrick Cantlay, who I've already mentioned. We like him a lot in this tournament. I have a couple, I think, top, I think I have a top five bet on him as well. Um, you can line shop his odds on bet online and Bovada, I think are 33 to one to be the first round leader versus like 25 and like 26 to one at some onshore books. So if you have access to those books, I already like it regardless, but a huge line shopping opportunity. And then Cameron young, our guy, um, you know, first round leader for him also tees off at around 10, 15 AM. I want to say um, on DraftKings, he has the best odds of all the books. So actually book you can bet here on shore, um, you know, to be the first round leader, you know, tying into the fact we like him regardless. And of course the weather conditions. So those are those. The second thing is some matchups. Um, this was me looking at, you, you can do a spider web. I mentioned before for the course, you can also look at a player spider web, how they match up. And of course, again, using some of the, the, the tea time data, stuff like that. So Patrick Cantlay versus Jordan Spieth, uh, minus 110 or minus 115 range. Um, we like, Jason Day versus Dustin Johnson. Look, Dustin Johnson is a scary guy to bet against in a major. There's no question about that. Jason Day is playing some phenomenal golf right now, and I think people forget how good he was for a stretch, kind of like a Brooks Kepka-esque run a couple of years ago where he like won one or two majors, was in the top five of like every major for a three, four-year stretch, um, is playing some very, very good golf, had a back injury that bothered him for a while, but has been very good this season. And the last one I like a lot, uh, is Matt Fitzpatrick versus Corey Connors. Two good players right now. Both been playing good golf. Both hang off in the afternoon. But um, you can look at, unfortunately, there isn't like who are the best mutters in golf or anything like that mm -hmm. on data golf. But I looked at a bunch of past tournaments and bad weather. I looked at guys. It's basically if you have good control of the ball, if you're not more of an erratic player, and if people don't who don't know Matthew Fitzpatrick, the guy is the most meticulous, methodical golfer maybe on the entire tour. Um, so he, he is... Uh, there's a ton of value there. I know Data Golf loves this one as well. Uh, is Matthew Fitzpatrick, I think it's minus 112 or so, uh, against Corey Connors. I like it. That is uh, that is a wealth of knowledge. I'm going to need you to write that down and put it in the uh, the Discord so that uh, that I can be on on the same the same page. Um, I I like our guy Cam Young though. Gotta gotta say, just so solid from an approach perspective. Um, my favorite thing I watched live from the masters on golf channel yesterday, nothing makes me happier than listening to these old, uh, golf nerds complain about the live guys, find something else to talk about, please, for the love of God, <laughs> I don't care that Phil Mickelson is skinny and made a lot of money off of live. I just, I just don't care. Um, anyways, that's my plea. Uh, that is it for this podcast. We'll be back with you on Sunday, Masters Week. Enjoy Tiger Woods making the cut and competing. Please, God. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. Peace.